All right, welcome to the Jeff Merrick Show. We're having some technical issues with Jeff on his end right now, uh, so we will try and figure that out as we as we get going here. Um, coming up in the program, once Jeff gets all connected, we'll be joined by Elliot Friedman. We'll also be joined by George Richards as Florida gets set, potentially up 2-0 as they head back home. Uh, we'll also be joined by Mike Kelly from NHL Network and Sport Logic, uh, as well as Josh Joey from The Athletic, as the Pittsburgh Penguins GM search and, and president of Hockey Ops search continues. Um, on the Florida Panthers, as we get set, and there's going to be a lot that we're going to get to throughout the show. There's there's some GM vacancies that uh, may be figured out. There are some uh, some other uh, coaching vacancies that that may come up. So we are... We are right in the thick of things here. So as we as we continue on here, let's look at the Florida Panthers. And they head back home up 2-0. And it, it's been it's been kind of a, a wild ride here for the Panthers. They've won nine of their last ten in the playoffs. And, and Sergey Bobrovsky obviously has been a big part of that. Matthew Kachuk has obviously been a, been a big part of that. But now they head home where they've actually had less success than they have on the road. On the road, they've been one of the best road teams that we've seen. And to that, interesting to see what Carolina throws at them tonight. We know that Freddie Anderson started game one. We know that Auntie Ronta started game two. Where, what direction are they going to go here? And what ends up happening in game three? Do they go up 3-0, much like they did against the Toronto Maple Leafs in the second round? Are we really... Think back to the the conversation we were, happen, we were having about the Florida Panthers a couple of months ago, where we were talking about them potentially being in the lottery and Montreal having their first-round pick... And everybody thought that that was going to end up being a wonderful pick for Montreal. It's still a great trade for Montreal moving off when they moved off of Ben Sherratt to send him to Florida. But there was talk that this pick could end up being maybe a top 10 pick. Could it be the first overall pick? Now, that would have been something. And now the Florida Panthers are just two wins away from getting to the Stanley Cup final. It's been one of the more interesting rides that a team has seen. We'll talk to George Richards about that in, in about 32 minutes time when he joins us from Florida hockey. Now, Maddie, can you hear me? I got you, Jeff. All right, there you go. Nice tap dancing there off, uh, off the top. Hey, not, not to, <laughs> I try my best. I'm like, they call me Fred Astaire no, around these parts. No, that's good. No, you ushered into duty, all right? If you thought that was your Wally Pip moment, I haven't uh, gone gently into that good night, <laughs> uh, courtesy of Dylan Thomas there, uh, quite yet. But uh, thanks for that. Technical problems are hopefully, fingers crossed, all done, and we'll uh, we'll resume with the show. Um, and I want to get you on board coming up a little bit and get your thoughts from the weekend. You mentioned a number of the things that we'll be talking about here over the next couple of hours as we get you set for Game 5. And listen, when you say Game 5, uh, if you have a look at the first two games between Carolina and Florida, and listen, if you look at the first two games between Vegas and Dallas, um, you know, don't think that you're going to get to go to bed early. 
these two teams are incredibly close uh, together. The games have been nip and tuck all the way, and I don't think it would surprise anybody if this thing goes to extra chuckers as well. But coming out of the first two games, and again, like I'm with Elliot on this one. He mentioned this on TV the, uh, the other night. I don't think this series is done. I really don't. Like I know everyone's everyone's hot for the Florida Panthers and what they're doing and the streak that they're on and how many road games they've won in a row now and how it's the the team of destiny. I've had a lot of fun with the 2012 Los Angeles Kings analogies, etc., etc., etc. I just don't get the feeling that Carolina is going to roll over at all. I still think this is going to be a long series. I still think Dallas and Vegas is probably going to turn out to be a long series as the venue shifts there um, to Dallas. Um, so if you're making plans to watch tonight's game, and you should because these first two games have been excellent, um, don't think that you're getting to bed before 11 o'clock Eastern because you probably aren't. Nonetheless, uh, coming up on the show, Elliot Friedman stops by in a couple of moments from Hockey Night in Canada and 32 Thoughts. Uh, we'll go over the latest on the ice and off the ice as well. This is a big week. It's a big week for Kyle Dubas. This is a big week for the Pittsburgh Penguins. It's a really big week for the Calgary Flames as well. Tomorrow, Craig Conroy, you know, everything trending towards the direction that he'll be named the new general manager uh, of the Calgary Flames. That was the first name we suspected um, when Brad Treliving announced or said or told the organization that he wouldn't be coming back. Uh, the first name that we did hear, and most times it's the first name that you hear, uh, case in point, Montreal Canadiens, when they made their GM switch, the first name that we heard was Kent Hughes. It ended up being Kent Hughes. First name we heard in the Calgary search was Craig Conroy. Looks like it's going to be Craig Conroy. So that's going to be a big part of tomorrow's program. Like I'll I'll anticipate now and, and preview tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to be a lot of talk about the Calgary Flames. So just brace yourself. As Craig Conroy comes in uh, tomorrow, who he's going to surround himself with will be a big part of the discussion. Um, and not just at the managerial level as well, but the coaching level. Uh, a number of candidates that uh, Elliot has mentioned before, whether it's on Hockey Night, whether it's on the podcast, whether it's here. Um, so uh, a number of names that uh, you'll start to hear. I think Andrew Burnett, uh, Mitch Love, who coaches the Wranglers, who's been outstanding uh, in an American Hockey League capacity. You know, they've they've gone internal with Craig Conroy. Uh, don't be surprised if they go internal with Mitch Love as well, but surround him certainly with other people from uh, from other organizations. Uh, I mentioned on the podcast, I wonder about someone like Mark Savard with the Windsor Spitfires, former teammate with Craig Conroy, who's coached the Windsor Spitfires as a head coach uh, for a couple of seasons now, was on the uh, on the bench with Craig Berube and the St. Louis Blues uh, previous to that. So don't be surprised if you hear that name. Uh, attached to this search for a, a new head coach for the Calgary Flames, uh, and I think you're going to wonder too about you know what the uh, what the Calgary Flames roster is going to look like after this off season. A lot, like we we all suspect that the Calgary Flames accent is going to start to be more on offense than ever before. Uh, under Daryl Sutter, the premium and the uh, the accent was always on defense and defending and minding your own knitting in all three zones. Uh, I think you're going to see a Calgary Flames team that opens up a little bit, maybe a lot more, which should probably spell well for someone like Jonathan Huberto. And make no mistake about it, one of the big jobs around Calgary is to find that Jonathan Huberto that we saw not this past season, but the season previous, the 100-point Jonathan Huberto unlocked the 
creativity um, as one of the game's uh, elite passers and elite playmakers. So that's going to be a lot of, like we'll mention it a, a few times here on this program, talk a little bit with Elliot about Calgary. There's going to be a lot tomorrow on the Calgary Flames. Today's going to be a lot about the games, and today's going to be a lot about the Pittsburgh Penguins, their GM search. Uh, the Penguins do have permission to talk to Kyle Dubas. Um, we expect that to happen as early as this week. And just when the Pittsburgh Penguins thought that they kind of had everything put to bed and, you know, uh, people that received, you know, second interviews and we believe were sort of finalists uh, for this Pittsburgh Penguins job, all of a sudden their lives have been put on pause to see if there can be anything done here between Kyle Dubas and the Pittsburgh Penguins. And just so we're on the same page, and this is in no order of bias whatsoever, uh, we're talking about Matthew Darsh. Uh, we're talking um, uh, about Dan McKinnon. We're talking about Jason Carmanos as well. We're talking about Eric Tulski of the Carolina Hurricanes. Now, all these people, we do suspect, one day will end up as general managers in the NHL. Tulski almost ended up as a GM of the Chicago Blackhawks before they made the decision to go with Kyle Davidson. Um, but these are some of the names you're going to hear, some more of the names you're going to hear uh, attached to GM searches. Um, and I know what you're probably wondering. Well, what about the Maple Leafs then? Who are some of the names we're going to start to hear here? Pause while I have a sip of coffee. Very good. One of the perks of working from home. So the Leafs general manager search is going to be a fascinating one. And when a team like the Maple Leafs, um, one of the crown jewels of the NHL, has a GM vacancy, a lot of people come out of the woodwork. And sometimes it's people that you might not think had any appetite or desire to run an NHL team, but when it's the Maple Leafs and how well they can compensate someone, let's be honest here, uh, for the general manager position, a lot of names come out. Like I can recall back when the Maple Leafs uh, ended up hiring John Ferguson, and I believe the two finalists in that one were obviously John Ferguson. Um, Neil Smith, uh, the architect of the uh, New York Rangers, was the other. But, I mean, you had you know Bob Nicholson interviewing. You had Lanny McDonald uh, interviewing. So as it relates to the Maple Leaf search, um, be prepared to hear a number of names and probably names as well that you never would have expected. Uh, Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada and 32 Thoughts joins me now. Fridge, how are you today? Good, Jeff. I'm really sorry. I didn't realize there was a show today. I was in a bakery. I was buying like, I was buying racks like cupcakes <laughs> and donuts and the phone rings and I'm like, there's a show today? And so... Uh, I apologize for that. I didn't realize there was, I thought, I, I, I thought I, for some reason, I thought it was, uh, there, was no, there was no long weekend show. Sorry about that. You've, you, you, you've really been out of full-time radio for a long time if you think that they're not yeah. making us work on a holiday, Elliot. Man, how, yeah, this isn't you know like what, the old right. telemedia. <laughs> yeah. You're right. I forgot. The, uh, you know, the, uh, I was wrong with me. The old, the old telemedia days when you and I started uh, back in the, in the mid-90s, that, that they would do things like that. But those days are long gone, Elliot Friedman. We're not on uh, 40 Holly Street anymore uh, in downtown Toronto. So, speaking of Toronto, uh, I don't even know where to begin with this. First of all, is this the newsiest off-season you've been part of in a long time? Like, I'm trying to think of, like, which off-season has had more drama and... The action on the ice has been fantastic, and the stories off the ice have been completely drama-filled. Is this the most uh, active off-the-ice off-season, even before the draft here, that you've been part of? 
It's up there. I mean, I don't know if anything will ever beat that one 25 minutes where there was the Weber Subban trade and Steph yeah. was resigned, and there was the Paul Larson deal. I don't know if anything will beat that for <laughs> sheer craziness and insanity. Um, but uh, yeah. this is certainly up there. I mean, I-, I think the uniqueness of the Toronto situation, the way that everything, well, at least, you know, one perspective of everything came out, that really was fascinating. And because it's the least and it's, it's the biggest job, um, it's the least and it's, it's the biggest job in the, in the sport. I think that there's no question that that adds a level. And yeah, I think the other thing too, Jeff, that comes with that Toronto thing is that, I think there's people who are currently employed elsewhere who are going to be interested in this job. So it knocks, it knocks a lot of things loose. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Like there, there are some, you know, as, as much as players may have, you know, whether it's playing for a Canadian market team or specifically, you know, Ontario born kids wanting to play for, you know, the Maple Leafs because they grew up Matt Sundin fans or, or Darcy Tucker fans or, um, or you know whoever your your favorite Trump Gary Roberts fans whoever your favorite Maple Leaf was I think that there are managers that are the same way I think there are uh, Ontario born managers around the NHL you've mentioned Doug Armstrong um, a couple of people wondered on the weekend about someone like Jim Rutherford from Beaton Ontario uh, I, I think that there are people that I'm with you that are that are currently employed that now that this position is open you know might be calling their agents to to find out how ironclad their contracts are. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree. Now, I have to tell you, Jeff, if I could, like this is your show, but can I talk about something for a second? Is that do I have your permission? Well, I mean, you've I've already given you permission to go and buy muffins and cupcakes on my time here, so why not? Just grab grab the steering wheel. <laughs> All right, I really appreciate that. Okay, so so like, I, I've had a couple of buddies, like I've had a couple of buddies sending me threads on Twitter today. Like they think. Uh, yeah. They're like, man, like, can you, they're like, things are ablaze. And, you know, one of them is about, uh, like, uh, just the whole the reporting structure thing that you and I talked about. And yeah. I, I think that I, I, I would like to have a bit more about it based on some of the things, the theories that are coming up from around it. And, look, like, I, I believe this. Like, everybody has a boss, right? And I don't agree with everything Rogers does. Uh, but uh, I recognize that they are the bosses. And I think there's a big difference between, um, I think there's a big difference between interfering and, and clearing things. And like we talked about how on Saturday night, and we talked about on the pod about how I think that Dubas was frustrated by the, um, by the slow nature of Dubas, Shanahan, Borg, Borg, Shanahan, Dubas. Now, I don't necessarily yeah. think that that means that uh, the, they interfere any more than any other ownership would, but I think what it is is cumbersome. Like, you know, that's what I think it comes down to. And, I, and, I, and, I, and based on some of the things my buddies were sending me this morning, I was like, ah, I'd better state this. Like, everybody has a boss, and there are certain things, okay. and there are certain things that you have to have that you have to clear with your boss. And I don't necessarily think that means that every little thing was being interfered with, but I do think that if you wanted to do something bigger or something that you needed to do quickly, it was not easy. And I think there's, I think that's the delineation I would like to say. 
You know, I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because I was thinking about this um, when we talked about it on the podcast and I thought more about it uh, last night and said, you know, I should probably get into this with Elliot if we go down this avenue and now you've opened the door, so, so let's go there. You know, this has always been... This has always been an interesting situation with Dubis, the, um, uh, the decision-making process. And you know where I first saw it play out? Uh, when Dubis was hired, and again, he was considered, oh, he, here comes Kyle Dubis to do, to do the analytics, right? Remember, he was going to be the guy that, quote, did the analytics. And, and a lot of people would roll their eyeballs at that, that term and that phrase. But essentially... You know, when it comes to to um, uh, to working in the data department, you know that was that was Kyle Dubas's bailiwick, and that was the the opening of the door for him. And one of the things that people who started in the industry, because remember there was that big rush where everybody had to hire one of the bloggers, everybody had to hire one of the analytics bloggers, and whether they read the reports or not, you had to have it because your ownership wanted you to check that box. And some had a direct relationship that they could get the information to the coach. The coach could go over it and make the according decisions that went along with it. And I think of someone like uh, Eric Tolsky in Carolina. And I remember checking there once, and the relationship was it goes from Eric Tolsky's laptop right to the coach. There was nothing in between. And one of the things in Toronto was, and I had someone who interviewed um, in the uh, wanting to work in the, in the data department, the analytics department, who said to me, the problem that, I, that, that a lot of us have with Toronto is there's a lot of hands that this has to go through until it yes, gets to the coach. It, has to get, it, 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 it goes from one person to another person, to the assistant coach, to whomever, and then finally it gets to the head coach. But by then, the information has been so distilled and polished and some things have taken out and something have put in. By the time it gets to the coach, I don't consider it my work anymore. So I, when, when you mentioned that about the reporting structure and wanting to do things quicker, that fits completely because that's kind of been the situation, I think, that Dubas has found himself in going back to when he was, quote, the analytics guy. Yes. Oh, Jeff, hang on one sec, please. Yeah, you go do your thing. You go do your thing. So that's the situation that I found with um, with Kyle Dubas. So as far as the reporting structure goes, I don't think anybody should be surprised that Dubas has wanted to streamline things because I kind of get the feeling that the decision, I think we all do, the decision-making process, um, I don't want to say is overly cumbersome. And again, I, I can't color this in too much because I'm not there um, and I'm not part of it. All I can sort of try to distill is from conversations that I've had you know, he's someone that likes to react quickly and have a small group around him to bounce ideas off of and then move. Not unlike what he enjoyed when he was a general manager of the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. Now, I know it's entirely different operations and entirely different leagues as well, but that is some of the frustrations that a lot of managers will have. Now, again, there are some that have more of an A to B relationship. I use the example of, of analytics. Um, Carolina was always one. I still think that they are where the information doesn't get distilled uh, through too many people until it reaches the head coach. Um, but I can understand that being a source of frustration. And then one step further, now that I think about it, you know, if you're if you're Brendan Shanahan, you know, the president of the team, it, it sounds to me as if it, the in the in the idea of streamlining, you know, streamlining decision making, 
if you're Brendan Shanahan and you're reading this counterproposal from the Dubas camp, are you not saying to yourself, hold on a second here. If I sign off on this, I'm essentially taking more power within this organization off of my plate. Why would I want to devalue what I'm doing here uh, and, and hand, that, hand that over? So, again, we've heard one side of this. We've heard the Brendan Shanahan side. Um, so we know, and, and by the way, that was completely, um, like that press conference that we saw last week, that was something that was, as I can recall, unprecedented in the NHL to walk through how this dismissal went. Uh, Elliot, do we have you back? back. Yeah, I'm back, Jeff. Sorry about that. Y'all get, no, get, no problem, man. Listen, if, if you need to take, if you need, some Max is more important than me. If you want to, if well, you need to chill and, and go take it's care close, of Max, you go, man. That's, it, it's close, but that's, you know, that's close about saying. But no, 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 I'm all good here. We've got a few more minutes. And we should mention that, uh, as we said on the yeah. pod today, uh, we believe that Pittsburgh has permission to talk and do this, and we'll see where that goes over the next few yeah. days. Yeah, that's going to be a big story to follow here. So I would suppose, and let's pick up the Pittsburgh conversation. And we'll swing back to the Leafs and some names for the GM here. Um, so I guess everybody, whether it's Talski or Carmanos, McKinnon, Darsh, Greeley, whomever, right now they're sort of in a holding pattern because yes. wasn't there the belief that this thing was headed towards an inevitability either late last week, this weekend, or early this week, and now everything essentially has been frozen while the Pittsburgh Fenway Sports talks to Kyle Dubas. Yes, I, I believe that is correct. Um, I believe that they were getting close to making a decision. I think it was possible it was going to be uh, early this week. However, uh, Dubas's availability, sudden availability, has thrown a halt into all that. Uh, like they asked for permission. Like I said, I believe they have received permission. And now we're going to see where it is. I, you know, like, you know, I, I think that one of the biggest questions here is going to be, um, you know, is he ready for this? You know, as, as he initially said last week, um, it was going to be Toronto or nowhere. And now I think the events of the way last week ended have thrown that into question, but still it would be a big move for yeah. his family. I just, you know, I, I'm not familiar with that family dynamic. I don't know how it would go. So I think we have to weigh that. And, you know, you know, Shanahan said there was um, a, a financial framework change. And so I think you have to be aware, can the two sides make a deal? But uh, I would think that would be less of a problem. I just think that the biggest question is, you know, uh, the fact that he said it was Toronto or nowhere, are he and his family ready for a move? I think that would be a big question, too. Uh, absolutely. Um, names we should expect to hear around the Toronto Maple Leafs general manager search. You know, before you came on, I, I mentioned, you know, going back pre-lockout when the Maple Leafs hired John Ferguson. I mean, there were a lot of names, whether it's Lanny McDonald or Bob Nicholson. Those are the two that I cited coming out of that one, which, you know, previously we didn't think they had much desire to run NHL teams, but there it was. And there'll be more names coming out, I would imagine. Anything, I mean, Brad Treliving certainly, but anything, anyone else's name we should kind of keep on our radar here? Well, you know, I was thinking about everyone that Toronto's ever interviewed. Like, that's what I was trying to, like, they interviewed Mike Gillis like 20 years ago. Is that still relevant? Yep. I mean, you know, he's still around. They interviewed uh, George McPhee, I think, when they hired Lamorello. And, you know, but George McPhee's got another job right now where he's not the GM, he's the yep. president. So 
I don't know that that's any longer relevant. But you know, like mm-hmm. I like I think. Look, I think I think Tree Living's name came out quickly for a reason, and I think it's because he's the most recently available guy with that level of experience. And I, this was the key. Like a couple guys said to me, you know, and we talked about it too, is that he knows what it's like to work with a big personality, like, like a Ken King or a Brian Burke or a Murray Edwards. Yeah. And, you know, that's going to be important here. That's going to be a thing. But, you know, like I said, Jeff, and I'll say this again, it's the Toronto Maple Leafs. People are going to come out of the world war. There are going to be names here that we don't think of, that we wouldn't expect, but they're going to pop up because, like, you know, one thing about this team, and they proved it again this year, they leave no stone unturned. You need something, you get it. Like, you can never look at this organization and say they don't do everything they can to try to make it work. And, you know, that's... There are a lot of people who would love to have their hand on that kind of steering wheel. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I mentioned before you came on that tomorrow's show is going to be all about the Calgary Flames as we're awaiting the official word of Craig Conroy uh, to yep. be named the next general manager of the Calgary Flames uh, in anticipation of the events of tomorrow as we sort of lay out what this week is going to look like. Um, what do you uh, what do you expect out of Conroy and who he will... You mentioned some names known as Aginla on the weekend. Who um, who we expect him to surround himself with? Well, I, like, I think that. I think that, um, you know, I, th- I think that... I do think there's been an experienced person that will be coming in with them. And I've mentioned, like, someone like a Nonis. Um, like, uh, like, to me, until, like, like, he makes perfect sense until I'm proven wrong. Um, like, one of the yeah. things on the weekend is, you know, there were reports it was going to be Nonis. And, and, like, the one thing I was told to be careful about was that nothing is signed. So whenever that happens... Like, you know, it's unlikely there's going to be a problem. But last week we thought in Toronto yeah. that this was all going to get sorted out. So <laughs> until anything is signed, yeah. I don't sense. So I, I think likely, you like I think there will be something with Jerome McGinla. I don't know if it'll be now or a year from now or how it's all going to work. I'm really not sure the answer to that question. Um, but I think there will be the, a role some kind of for him. And, you know, I'm also wondering, like, one guy I heard who interviewed really well internally, in addition to Conroy, was Brad Pascal. And I'm curious to see if there's going to yep. be any kind of, like, a this way. But uh, it's going to be, uh, we're going to see if there's a kind of a different role or increased role for him, too. Absolutely. Okay, we'll let you get back to, uh, to family time. Thanks so much, as always, for popping as, as by. As you heard, I have, uh, I have to find my car. <laughs> Put Max in charge. I have more oh faith God. in Max in finding it than uh, than you. <laughs> You'll be good, free. We'll talk soon. All right, take care, Jeff. Bye, <laughs> Elliot. Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada and uh, and Thirty Two Thoughts, uh, the podcast and the blog.